Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you today. Thank you for joining me. And today we're going to continue in our Beauty of Grace series. We're going to look at Lesson 60, The Calm of Grace. The Calm of Grace. Let's explore the rest that we find in the Camp of Grace in a bit more detail today discussing the calm of grace. We saw in the last episode that we can rest all of our hope in the grace of God as we're instructed in the Word. And this reminds me of the calm of grace as well. So what do I mean? The Bible gives a specific calm. It's called a Shabbat or a Sabbath, Sabbath rest. Let's explore this concept today to see its application to the church through grace. Now, the Jewish people observed the Sabbath or the Shabbat every week, and in the symbolism of that feast that is included actually as a feast in Leviticus chapter 23, we want to explore what that means to the church through grace. How is it pointing to Jesus and what does it mean to Christians today? In Exodus chapter 16, I want to read verses 22 through 26 to start us off. And I want to give you the backstory. Israel has been delivered from Egypt and is now wandering in the wilderness. And they had complained because they were hungry and they needed something to eat. And so God gave them graciously. And that was to sustain them as food during their journey. This is the chapter where we read about God supplying this manna and the instructions for it. So they were to gather it for six days. They were not to gather any on the seventh day because this was the Sabbath or the Shabbat to the Lord, the day of cessation of all work and labor. So what is so special about it? Well, let's find out. Let's read first in Exodus 16, 22 through 26 about the manna. And then we want to go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. First, Exodus 16, 22 through 26. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Now let me stop there for a minute. This is important because the Lord had commanded them to gather it on six days and not to gather on the seventh day. And on the sixth day only, were they to gather twice as much? Well, some of the people thought they would go against the Lord again. They're stiff-necked and stubborn, the Lord had said in his word. And so they decided, well, we're going to try this out. We're going to get two helpings today. And it might have been the third day or the fifth day. And it bred worms and it stunk by the next morning because they were disobedient to the word of God. It was only on the sixth day that God would miraculously keep that so that they would not violate the Sabbath by doing the work of going out to gather this. 
So that's what is important to remember here in this word. Then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. This is on the seventh day. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none, because God wanted them to learn to honor his Sabbath rest, his Sabbath day. So what is so special about the Sabbath day? In Exodus chapter 20, God lists out the Ten Commandments, and one of those is in verse 8 through 11, we read these words. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, meaning set apart, something that's set apart, consecrated, and special to God, something that's separated and consecrated to the Lord. Verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For, this is the reason, in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So God is telling them here, one of the Ten Commandments that I want you to observe is to honor the seventh day by doing no work. Cease from all work and labor and rest. Enjoy a day of rest. The pattern that God says, the reason for that is from the pattern of creation. God made everything that he made, according to Genesis chapter 1 and 2, in six days worth of work. Now, I do believe that that's six literal 24-hour days. One of the reasons that tells us that is because it says, and the evening and the morning were the first day, and the evening and the morning were the second day, and so on. So God did six days worth of work, and on the seventh day, God rested. He didn't rest because he was tired. He did not need rest. But he established this as a pattern. Two things. First of all, the work was completed. He had finished the work of creation, everything that he needed to do. And so he rested because he had accomplished everything. And at that time, everything was very good. He had finished the job that he was intending to do in creating everything that he was creating and in making the crown of his creation, man and woman. Then he also established it as a pattern for us to cease from work and rest. It was done for man. Even this very thing was an act of God's grace. How beautiful and gracious he is to every one of us. Praise be to God. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28 says this, And he, meaning Jesus, said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. So even the Sabbath rest was a gracious gift from God. It was given to us on account of or for the sake of mankind. And it comes from this pattern way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 31, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth 
day. Chapter 2, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Verse 2. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Verse 3. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. That means he set it apart as a holy day, as a special day that week, in that week for you to rest and cease from all work. Verse 3 again, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. He rested because the work had been completed. So God established the seventh day as a special day. In Leviticus chapter 23, you find a listing of all the feasts of the Lord listed there. And there are eight total ones that are listed there. Generally, we think of seven feasts, and we generally think of them as feast of the Jews, the Jewish festivals. But in essence, the Lord says they're feast of the Lord. And there are eight total ones listed in Leviticus 23 because the Sabbath is considered a feast of the Lord as well. It's the only one, however, that's done weekly. Every single week, God has provided a Sabbath rest. It's a day of rest, cessation from work. It's a day to worship and honor the Lord, draw near to Him, worship and focus on Him, enjoy life, rest, and family, enjoy pleasures and hobbies. It allows us to recharge and rest in our bodies, our souls, and our spirits, and in our minds. It refreshes us and recharges us, rejuvenates us, and it's done regularly, weekly, because we need that. God knew that we needed that in our physical bodies because our physical bodies wear out. Our bodies, our souls, our minds, we need rest. Now, the Pharisees and the legalistic leaders, by the time we get to the New Testament, took it way beyond God's intent. Jesus then comes along and points out how he is Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, he's fixing their errors. He's straightening their error in understanding and in teaching about Sabbath. For instance, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 10 through 12, he says this, And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees and the religious leaders had taken it way beyond what God had ever intended, and they were saying you couldn't even heal anybody. You couldn't help someone who needed to be set free from a demon, set free from an infirmity, set free from a disease or sickness. You couldn't do that on the Sabbath day. Oh, no. As a matter of fact, in one place in the New Testament, the Pharisees say, there are six days to work. Let them come and get their healing on one of those days, but not on the Sabbath. And so the Lord is correcting that error here. He's saying, oh no, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and every day of the week it's right to do good to people. So Jesus was teaching that, correcting the error in it, but also he was honoring the Sabbath. 
in God's original intent. Jesus is doing good every day of the week, including on the Sabbath, because that's the right thing to do in God's original intent. And so in John chapter 5, verse 16 through 18, we see how people, religious folk, the Pharisees and those of that kind of spirit, reacted. Verse 16 says this, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them in verse 17, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. So the religious leaders got all mad at him because he was doing all kinds of good and healing and delivering people even on the Sabbath day, which pleased the Lord's heart. The Sabbath is listed in Leviticus 23 as one of the feasts of the Lord because its application, just like all of the others, is in Jesus. For instance, the Passover is the first feast of the year for the Jewish people, and the Passover meal, the Passover Seder itself, that day signifies Jesus' death when he paid the price for all of our sins as the Passover lamb, John identified him as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the Passover Lamb, and he has come to pay for our sins. And now we, we move, we are passed from death to life. We are brought into life and moved from death in the spiritual sense, in the eternal sense. Then is unleavened bread. That signifies the holiness of God and his burial even as the sinless one, his body going to the ground and then being vindicated by God the Father in the Feast of Firstfruits when he rose from the dead, having been approved by God as our payment for sin. So the Sabbath also has an application in Jesus as well. And so now I want us to look in Hebrews to find that, because what we're really talking about here is not so much the day of the week in a Sabbath day, although the pattern is real and God does want us to rest. We need rest. But Paul comes along in the New Testament and tells us, don't let anyone judge you because of days of the week or Sabbaths or new moons or other festivals. So there's a freedom in the application of that in our lives. And most Christians generally will celebrate their Sabbath, if you will, their day of rest on Sundays. And we go to congregate together to worship the Lord and to celebrate Him on Sunday mornings generally or sometimes Sundays in honor of the day of the week that He rose from the dead. And so we generally will meet together on that day. Jewish believers still honor the actual seventh-day Sabbath, and that's fine. Paul gives us that freedom within ourselves to be able to identify and to apply that word as the Lord would direct each and every one of us. So we're not talking so much about the day of the week as we are of the rest, the rest, the calm of grace, the rest of grace that God has provided through his grace. And that's what we get into when we look at Hebrews 
And I want to begin the reading in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. And we're going to read quite a bit of scripture, and I may stop and comment here as we go along. But this is speaking of the rest of the Sabbath, meaning the rest that comes in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, says this, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion, in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works forty years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. This is not talking about them entering and observing the day. They still observe the Sabbath day all through the wilderness. That's not what he's talking about here. He says, they shall not enter my rest, the rest that comes and is fulfilling in Christ Jesus. Let's continue on. Verse 12, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end while it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, I want to stop there for just a moment, and then we'll go into chapter 4. This is the wilderness generation that's being spoken of here. The wilderness generation, the first generation that came out of Egypt, led by Moses, and they, he leads them all the way through the wilderness. They get up to Kadesh Barnea, to the, the entrance to the land that God was giving to them. Moses sends in the 12 spies, and then they come back, you know, one from each tribe, and they, they all come back. And then they, 10 of them, give the bad and evil report. And so they did not believe God they chose rather to believe the evil report. And so God had said, okay, you're not going in. I'm still giving the land to the people of God. I'm still giving the land to Israel because I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will fulfill my promise, but you're not going to get to go in and you're not going to get to be the ones that participate in the promise of my rest. And so every one of that generation died in the wilderness they could not enter the rest of the promised land, the rest that God had for them in the end, because they would not believe and obey God. Notice, too, here that believing God and obeying God are interconnected. They are interchangeable, and they are both required together. If one truly believes, there will be proof in the lifestyle because they will be obeying the Lord. So when they got up to the edge of the promised land and God was ready to take them in, Joshua and Caleb believed God and said, no, we can go in. God is with us. He's promised us this land. Let's go. He's going to be with us and give it to us. But the other 10 said, no, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. 
And so the ten prevailed. The, the rest of the congregation that was of the generation of Joshua and Caleb, they had to wander around 40 years in the wilderness until every one of them died off. And God fulfilled his promise with Joshua and Caleb's generation, that second generation that came out of Egypt. If one believes, there's proof in obedience. Joshua's conquest even is not the Sabbath rest spoken of here in Hebrews, although it was a type of that rest. Notice chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter it because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. So in other words, the author of Hebrews here is telling us that God promised a rest to Israel, promised to give them the land, promised the rest of the Lord, and even it was something beyond just Joshua's conquest of the land. This is proven here in these verses. So he's saying Joshua even speaks of a coming rest after Joshua had conquered the land. Joshua still speaks of that. Also, David still speaks of that, and David came many years beyond Joshua and after the conquest of the land. So God is saying here, if there wasn't a real rest that I'm speaking of beyond the Sabbath day and beyond the conquest of the land of Israel for the Jews, then David wouldn't have spoken of one that's coming ahead. So verse 9 says, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. The rest that he's speaking of here, let us be diligent to enter it, is the rest that comes in Christ alone, requiring faith. The word that we hear must be mixed with faith. And God says we can enter that. Reading that again. Verse 11, continuing on. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, 
but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So these passages in Hebrews are teaching us that there is a rest beyond the Sabbath day of the week. There is a rest beyond the Jewish people entering their promised land. There is a rest that David still spoke about. There's a rest that Joshua still spoke about. There is a rest that is coming, and it is in Christ alone. And it requires faith. It requires the fear of the Lord, carefulness to believe and obey him. And we are not to delay. David says here, and it's recorded and quoted here, don't harden your heart. Today is the day when you hear the word, don't harden your heart. Mix the powerful living word of God with faith and with carefulness, recognizing that the holy word of God cuts inside and knows the truth in the heart. He knows the sincerity when you call out to him. And when it is truly sincere, believing God and having the proof of obedience, then we can come boldly to God's throne to obtain mercy and grace throughout our need. So the Sabbath rest is what's being talking about here. And what this Sabbath rest in Jesus Christ is, is cessation from our works. It's entering his rest in the sense that we recognize we cannot earn salvation, but we receive it as a act of God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We simply place our faith and our trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And in doing so, we enter the rest that he has promised. We receive it by faith. We mix the promise with faith and rest in that. This is the Sabbath rest that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When we are confident and receive God's promise of salvation by sincere faith with proof of obedience, there is a great calm of grace. It brings this calm, this confidence, this ceasing from human efforts in terms of earning any brownie points, trying to earn and do works that will please the Lord and bring us salvation. We cannot work to earn our salvation. No one can be good enough except for Jesus, and he has done it for us. And we receive his work, rest in it, and obey his commands to us, giving our lives back to him, not trying to work to please him or to earn something, but out of love and gratitude for the rest that we have in him and the calm of grace that that brings us deep inside. I pray that this has been a blessing to you, and Lord willing, you can join us again for more episodes of our Beauty of Grace series and for other messages brought to you through Covenant Truth Ministries. God bless you today, in Jesus' name, amen.